0: So we will stay pretty much right there in Colossians chapter 2. I'd love for you to take your, your own Bible and follow along with me. We'll look at some verses just prior to the text that Norman read in order to get the context of what Paul's teaching us here. Baptism. You know, I'll be honest, as a preacher, I sometimes, with a topic like this one, I think to myself, I'm going to be talking to people... Who've already been baptized, uh, for the most part. That's not going to be exclusively true, but it is true. And, and also the fact that baptism has gotten a lot of emphasis in churches of Christ, rightly so, I think, because there have been some distortions of the teaching about baptism among uh, many segments of Christianity. You know? So I, th- I think it's something that we need to emphasize. I'm not going to try to share something new with you today, really, uh, some sort of new perspective. Uh, I do hope that as we go back to a topic that we've talked about many times before, that maybe it'll be helpful to you to give you some, some maybe some, some new angle or some new insight, perhaps, into thinking about an old topic. What is Paul talking about with baptism? Let's let's talk about the context for just a minute. Uh, the church at Colossae was going through some—I don't know—we don't know for sure exactly what it was, but they were they were meeting with some. Outside influences. One of them we know was this, and you guys may already be familiar with what's called Juda, Judaizing teachers. This movement within Christianity in the mid to late, well, and what beyond that, but first century Judaizing teachers. These were people who came along, and and sometimes they were operating within Christianity itself, sometimes from without. But you you've got these people coming along, and basically what they were saying is gentiles that's non-Jews, Gentiles, in order to to be fully included in the people of God, needed to become fully Jewish. And mostly what they meant by that is they needed to be circumcised. And so Gentiles wanted to become followers of God. They wanted to be part of God's family. They needed, first of all, to be circumcised. And and, and in other words, they needed to become fully Jewish. And, And that would mean also for them, they would need to observe the the kosher diet the, the Jewish dietary laws they would need to observe the Jewish holy days but but the biggest thing was circumcision so they were coming along and and sometimes they would tell and I think this is going on here in Colossae these people had become Christians Paul had taught them the gospel this is important to understand what he's saying here they had become Christians they've been baptized they were followers of Jesus and then they had some people coming along and telling them okay well you're not really saved you're not really in the people of God because you haven't been circumcised. You need to get circumcised. You need to become fully Jewish, or you're going to be lost. You're you're not you're not you're inferior, right? You're inferior. So that's one of the things that was going on for sure. Maybe some other things, some sort of outside philosophies, some sort of weird um, kind of. Um, uh, it's not Gnostic, but. It's like these Greeks had all sorts of different philosophies, different ways of looking at things. They had these these different views of angels and and, um, kind of weird, strange views. Don't know for sure. Paul hints at some things here. But what I think we need to know is these Colossian Christians were being told they needed more. They needed to do something more. They needed to be circumcised. They needed to emphasize angels more than they were. They needed to embrace some of these Greek... Philosophical traditions. I needed more. Jesus. Here's the thing: Jesus isn't enough for you. You need something else. You need Jesus plus something. So Paul's wanting them to understand. Jesus is enough, and in the middle of that, he talks about baptism. All right. So having said that, look look at your Bible, if you would. <clears throat> look at look at uh, verse six. So I wanna I wanna. You to notice some of the language Paul uses here. Therefore, verse 6, Colossians chapter 2, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so he's looking to the past, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in Him, notice the emphasis here, in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism in which you also in him. Now I hope you notice I was trying to emphasize some of the some of the uh, pronouns here because I want you to see Paul's emphasis in this text. They were they were being told you need Jesus plus. You need something else. You need to be um, you need to be baptized and something else you know and so Paul is saying to these folks look do you understand what you've got I think they were starting to doubt their, their faith, their, their salvation, and Paul's wanting them to see, you need to look back to your baptism and remember what it means. And so in verse 11, circumcised without hands. You probably know um, the significance of circumcision in the Jewish community. It's a big deal, went all the way back to Abraham. And it was a, obviously it was a physical act. Uh, little babies were circumcised, little baby boys were circumcised on the eighth day. That was a sign of the covenant. It was given to Abraham, and so from Abraham on, you know, they didn't always practice this uh, apparently as they should, at least early on. But it became a part of the Jewish community, and and there were three. Th- like I mentioned earlier there were three things. They were identity markers. It's important for you to remember this because it's all over the New Testament. Three things that it meant to be Jewish and it separated them from Gentiles. And they were big into their separation. Big into the we are we are the exclusive people of God. And we can show you, number one, we're circumcised, number two, we eat the right foods, and number three, we keep the right holidays. That's huge in the New Testament. It's all over the place, circumcision, diet, and holidays. But of the three, circumcision was the biggest and the most prominent. It was huge. And so it became, you know, it became, you see this in the New Testament. Sometimes you'll see people just referred to as the circumcised. It was a way of describing themselves. seems kind of weird to us about a physical act <coughs> done to a little baby boy on the eighth day of his life. And um, that becomes a, a word that's used to describe the people. So you've got the circumcised versus the uncircumcised. Now Paul fought against this kind of identity marker for people who weren't Jewish. He, you read Galatians, and it's all over the place in Galatians, but Paul says you do not have to be physically circumcised in order to be saved. (coughs) Now, he does say you've got to be circumcised, but you don't have to be physically circumcised. I'll explain that in a second. Because you may remember this, in Romans chapter 2, Paul says, you have been circumcised, but you haven't truly been circumcised. You have been circumcised physically, but your heart has not been circumcised. What he meant by that is you haven't cut off. That's what circumcision was, as you know, a cutting off of a piece of flesh. Your hearts have not been circumcised. They have not, you have not cut off the body of sin. And so in our text here, Paul says that you were circumcised. You, you, you got folks telling you that you haven't been circumcised. You have been circumcised. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. And obviously what he means by that is (laughs) you have experienced the circumcision God wants. It's possible to to be circumcised as an eight-year-old baby boy and never to have a heart circumcised. You can experience the right, but not the implications of the right. Many people had forgotten that that circumcision was supposed to represent the cutting off of of sin and and living a different kind of life. And many of the people had forgotten that. So when he says in verse 11, you've experienced a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now I want you to notice something that, and I've read this many times over the years. But I've never, I think, I've never really realized the implications of the last phrase in verse 11. Notice this. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh. And by the way, that word, putting off that phrase, putting off the body of the flesh, it, um, it, it, that's an expression that, that just means like the physical body. That's, that's what it means here, I think. By putting off the, the physical body by... Um, it's um, Well, I think it's explained in the next phrase. By putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ... Now, here's the thing that I hadn't noticed, and I think to be true now. By the circumcision of Christ, it's not talking about Jesus being circumcised when he was eight days old. It's not talking about his physical circumcision. But rather, it is talking, in context here, it's talking about when Jesus was cut off from the land of the living, when, he was, when his body was mangled and torn and ripped, that, that Paul is saying... That, that moment when Jesus was cut off, not just circumcised a small part of his body, but he was circumcised, he was, he was cut off, the body of the flesh. Now, one, common, one commentary I was reading suggested that Paul is getting at the horror of crucifixion in this expression. When he's saying, he's saying, you think about, I know we're using a circumcision a lot here, but this is a huge deal. And he's saying a crucifixion was the ultimate cutting of the body. Don't let these people tell you you've got to experience circumcision. That circumcision that they want you to go through pales in comparison to what Jesus did. And you are the recipients of the benefits of his circumcision. See that? <laughs> All right, I think this is important to see, and I'll come back to that in a minute. But look at verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism. So Paul gets to baptism here. He's talked about circumcision. And so, you know, remember back up verse 6 you've received Jesus Christ the Lord. Paul's telling us what that looks like. He says it is a circumcision of, he doesn't say the word heart here. That's the implication. uh, A non-physical circumcision of your spiritual heart that is made manifest in the crucifixion of Jesus and it is publicly displayed in the act of baptism in verse 12. Having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. So do you see, some, some people, by the way, use this text to teach the baptism of infants. Just as an eight-day-old baby was circumcised, so must we follow the principle and baptize little babies. But I think it's important to see that's not at all what Paul is saying. These people, these Christians, were being told that they needed to be circumcised. And and Paul said, you have been circumcised. You, You have been circumcised. One without hands. And then he says... Baptism is the public demonstration of that. Just as Jesus' was, his body was cut at the cross, so you, in your connection to Jesus, in your being immersed into His death, His burial, and His resurrection, you have publicly displayed that you have experienced circumcision. You see that? I think it's pretty neat the way Paul is teaching. He's not, he's not saying that you follow circumcision to the extent that you do this on the eighth day of life. You take a little baby and you do it. I, don't, I think that's, It seems to me a very much of a stretch to try to make this text teach that, you know? That, um, that he's, he's simply using circumcision, that physical act, to symbolize the, the greater and more important spiritual act of the cutting off of your sinfulness. And your commitment to live consistently with your baptism. And so back up in verse 6 again. Just as you've received Christ Jesus, the Lord so walk in Him. He's wanting them to know what, you, what they have in Christ. Now I want to I give you three things. Paul teaches us. I've touched on a little bit of this already. But there are three things. There are many more, but, but here are three. Number one. There's a connection to what Jesus did. You guys, you guys already know this, but just don't forget this. I'm, I'm, one of the reasons I want to teach this is because I want you to remember this again. With an emphasis on baptism as we have done it in Churches of Christ, there is, there can be, there can be the temptation for us to so emphasize the physical act that we can disconnect it from the spiritual significance. I don't think we've done that so much, but it's ever-present temptation. For us to emphasize baptism so much that it becomes a rite, an R-I-T-E, a, a ritual act that we maybe emphasize, we need to get this done. We need to get people baptized. You know, we need, to, we need to make sure that they're baptized. We need to baptize them. We need to make sure they're baptized. You know that. And forget, man, what Paul is saying. Do you see what he's saying here? This is about Jesus, the the, the focus throughout the text. Is on Jesus. Look at Christ. Look at what He's done. He was cut off for you. And your baptism connected you with Him. So there's nothing special about the water. It's not holy in some sort of mystical sense, but rather it is special because we're following Jesus into the water. We're being buried with Christ in baptism so most important is it's connection to what jesus what jesus has done and so if anybody ever tells you you need something else you need to do something else you need jesus christ plus something you think back to your baptism hey when i was baptized i was committing myself to jesus christ and he died he was cut off for me and i live in view of that here's the second idea uh, baptism is symbolized by a burial, by immersion. You know, uh, we've talked about this before here. You know the word baptize, whatever it's used in the New Testament, translates a word baptizo, is the Greek word. Uh, and you can see the similarity there, of course. It's a word that meant to dip or to plunge or to immerse. That's what the word meant. But we don't have to know that. You don't have to know that at all. they uh, don't have to know it. Uh, not a single word of Greek to understand what baptism means. And, and it's pictured so beautifully here and in Romans 6 and other places. But you know, his connection to what we just talked about, his connection to the death of Jesus Christ, you see what he's arguing here very, very clearly. He's helping them to remember. You remember when you were buried. Now I know there are people who practice other modes of baptism, but no other quote-unquote mode of baptism... Pictures what we are doing when we're baptized. Jesus died. He was circumcised, cut off from the land of the living. And they laid his body in the tomb, and on Sunday morning he came out of the tomb. Sprinkling water on somebody's head doesn't represent that. You know? Does, a pouring water on someone doesn't, doesn't signify that. And so that's why we have practiced and will continue to practice immersion, because it is what it is what follows Jesus. It's what it's what uh, represents what He did. And so we die, die as circumcised in the heart. You go down into the tomb, and you are raised up, buried with Christ in baptism. I just I know maybe everybody you, you're quite familiar with that, but it's just important for us to understand. There's there's a clear teaching here, and. Um, and, and, and when we allow traditions perhaps to influence our belief on something, and not Scripture, not I mean this is connected to Jesus. You know this is a pretty important thing. Here's the last one. It demonstrates faith in what God has done. Notice, um, notice this expression here in verse twelve, <clears throat> in which you were also raised with Him through faith. All right, notice this: through faith in the powerful working of God. Sometimes when we emphasize baptism, we are told, you guys are trusting in works salvation. By saying that baptism is essential to salvation, you are works, you're legalist, you're works-based people. And that could be the case. If we view baptism as some sort of box to check, I've climbed this stepladder and now God has owes me something, it, it could be that way, but not when we teach it right. And what Paul is saying here is, when you go into the waters of baptism, that is an act of submission, it is an act of faith, where you are saying to God, I trust you. I can't do this myself. I am unable to save myself. Think about what baptism... Think about how how submissive of an act act it is physically. This is not an, um, an active work in the sense that you are aggressively pursuing something. You, when you're baptized, when somebody baptizes you, you submit, right? It's a, it's a very humble thing. You, 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 you submit to whoever's baptizing you, and you allow this person to take you down into the water, trusting that he's going to bring you back up out of the water. It's a, it's a very humble thing. And it signifies, rightly so, I think, a faith in the powerful working of God. He's going to do what he said he would do. He said he would save me I know I can't save myself I've tried that path and it hasn't worked I've made a mess of everything I am unable to save myself but baptism is that act that submissive thing where we say to God I trust in you you raised him from the grave and you're the only one that can make a, make something out of this mess I've made you, you you're gonna raise me and I am demonstrating that in this act of baptism it's a beautiful a beautiful beautiful moment when we demonstrate our faith in what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. But the focus, remember this, the focus is on Him. This isn't some sort of legalistic checking-a-box thing. It's an act of submission to what God has done for us. If you're not a Christian this morning, we've talked about it throughout the lesson this morning, I hope that today, perhaps, if you're not a Christian, you will be baptized. You'll submit to what we've studied this morning. Uh, We would be thrilled. Maybe you need to come back to Jesus today because your life hasn't reflected what your baptism said. Why don't you come home today? Let's stand and listen. I hear.